0: Hello, this is Meet the Writers, I'm Georgina Godwin. My guest today was a physics teacher for many years before he turned to writing. He remembers conversations around the dinner table as a child with his father, a leading crime writer and jockey, about the damage a bullet might do to a man's guts rather than the normal mundanities of everyday life. As an adult, he helped his father with research and eventually writing before becoming an author full-time after his father's death. Hands Down is his 16th novel, it follows Sid Halley, a former British jump racing champion and private detective, as he gets drawn into a conspiracy which cuts to the heart of the integrity of UK horse racing. I am beyond excited to do this interview. I have interviewed Booker winners, Pulitzer winners, even a Nobel Prize winner. I've never been happier than to have Felix Francis in the studio. Welcome to Meet the Writers.
1: Oh, thank you, Georgina. It's <laughs> lovely to be here, especially listening to what you just said then. It was lovely. Thank you.
0: Well, the thing is, as a as a horse-obsessed child who also loved reading, your father's work was just absolutely everything I needed. It was just... A...
1: <laughs> well, I grew up with it, uh... I mean, the first book was published when I was eight years old. I have to say I didn't read it then. I, I waited a, a few years until my father thought it was suitable for me to read. But I then read them, I caught up and, of course, grew up in it. I mean, it was I grew up in what I considered to be the greatest fiction factory of the 20th century. And as you say, discussions were... You know how much explosive is required to blow up an aeroplane? I mean, <laughs> if the if MI five were listening, I'd I'd be in trouble. <laughs> but uh, those sort of questions. And I did quite a lot of the the writing of the scientific bits. I mean, I the first bit I wrote in a in a Dick Francis novel was when I was uh, a seventeen year old A level physics student, and my father wanted to to uh, have a remote control bomb to to blow up a light aeroplane, and. Uh, with my science with my physics teacher and I in the physics department at Mill Hill School, we actually built it and' we're not with the explosive but just a remote control bit and it was all magnets and solenoids and everything because it was the you know pre transistor age really i mean it was uh, this was back in the 1960s and uh, but it worked and uh, it went in the book so I considered myself an author ever since then, really.
0: (laughs) I really, really want to know about those early years, because your father was the... I mean, how many books did he write?
1: Well, there were two biographies, one of his own and one of Lester Piggott. And then there were 39 mysteries, one of which was a book of short stories. So 41 in the end. And it was uh, it was an absolute delight. But my mother and father worked on them together, and it's the worst-kept secret in publishing that, that Dick Francis' books were Dick and Mary Francis. Uh, but my mother refused to have her name on the cover. She Why? Was, well, she said that the Dick Francis was a name. I mean, my father took to writing after the incident of Devon Lock, which collapsed in the 1956 Grand National, an incident which thrust the the name Dick Francis from the back pages to the front pages of the, of the newspapers. Tell us
0: what happened there.
1: Well, he was riding a horse that belonged to uh, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. And the Grand National is four and a half miles and they'd done all but the last 40 yards. And the horse, my father says he was spooked by the noise because everyone was cheering. You know, the Queen Mother wasn't long after the, she'd been widowed and not, not long after the war. And, and, uh, He said that the noise was unbelievable and you see on the film the horse pricks his ears and at that point just he's frightened by the noise and everything stops and down he goes on his belly and slides along. I mean how dad didn't come off him I don't know but I mean he stood up again but by that stage he had been passed and his muscles were all pulled so it was the most dramatic Loss. I mean, uh, to do a Devon Locke has gone into the vernacular now, you know, to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. And uh, that is really why he started writing, because his agent at the time, a man called John Johnson, uh, was Celia Johnson's brother, and he said to uh, my father, uh, have you thought of writing an autobiography? I mean, nowadays, all sportsmen write autobiographies, but in, the, in those days, it was rare And he said, this Devonlock incident is a wonderful peg to hang uh, your life story on. So Dad set about writing it. And um, it came out, I mean, racing is called the Sport of Kings. But because he'd ridden for the Queen and for the Queen Mother, he got permission from the Queen Mother to call it the Sport of Queens. I mean, as my father says, perhaps you wouldn't call it that these days. But it came out in 1957, the year after the Devonlock incident. And Dad had retired from racing because he had a very bad fall and ruptured his spleen and and broke his wrist badly, so he had to stop race riding. And then John Junor, who was the uh, editor of the Sunday Express, heard about this, that the book was being written, so he thought Dad must be able to put a few words together, so he offered him a job as a racing correspondent for the Sunday Express. I mean, nowadays, all newspaper sports writers are ex-sportsmen, but in those days, you know, sportsmen... And journalists were very separate. You were one of us or one of them. Mm. And my father went from being one of us to one of them in, in the changing room, you know, into the into the press box. And uh, But he went on doing that for 17 years, never missed a deadline. I mean, John Junior had Danny Blanchflower writing about football and, and Dennis Compton writing about cricket and Dick Francis writing about racing. And uh, it was in the era when newspapers were far more important perhaps than than they are today with so much television and radio available. So, and that's what taught him to write. He said he, he taught, and then in 1962, the my father said that uh, it didn't pay as well as being a top jockey, so the cars were beginning to knock, he said, and the <laughs> carpets were wearing out, and he had two boys to educate, so uh, he... Uh, Uh, wrote a story, and um, that was dead certain. Then there was one every year for the rest of the millennium.
0: Which is quite, quite extraordinary. So I want to get a feeling of you and your brother growing up in this extraordinary atmosphere.
1: Well, we didn't think it was that extraordinary, to be honest. I mean, he was just my dad, you know. He used to go to the races a lot, but he was home a lot. I mean, my mother used to uh, say, your father's back, which meant clear everything up quickly on a Saturday afternoon. And, I mean, he was just our dad, really. I mean, yes, it was quite strange that everywhere you went, people knew of him. And certainly there were people in our house who came to to parties and to dinner parties and so on, which you perhaps wouldn't expect. I mean, uh, one of the things I remember clearly is my mother was in the theatre before she met my father and uh, was in the repertory theatre in Hereford just after the Second World War. And... uh, She got to know a lot of the actors. It was a very good repertory theatre and um, they used to come to our house a lot. So our house was very theatrical. I remember, you know, watching the very first episodes of Dad's Army with Arthur Lowe as Captain Mannering on a Saturday night. And then on Sunday, Arthur Lowe would be in our house having Sunday lunch with my parents because he was a very good friend of my parents' as a child i always wondered why he wasn't wearing his uniform <laughs> <laughs> and and yes we did things i mean the sadness of the death of her majesty the queen reminds me back that you know my father rode rode for her and i met the queen the queen mother first time when i was about 4 years old and i was talking to princess anne earlier this year and she said when did we first meet and i said well i was 4 and I think you were five and a half. And she said, oh, thank you very much. And <laughs> But we I've known the royal family and I feel very sad for them. But uh, I also revel in the fact that we had the Queen for so long. I mean, my mother was only a year older than her. And my mother's been dead now for 22 years. So we had the Queen for a long time and we should celebrate that.
0: Well, absolutely. Hmm. Tell us a little bit more about your interaction with her, as I guess, as a racehorse owner.
1: Well, I... I didn't know her... I knew the Queen Mother quite well. I used to ring up her private secretary and ask whether, you know, is she in? And he'd say, yes, and i said, would she like a visitor? Yes, she'd love one, so I used to go and have tea at Clarence House. And that was a real joy. But the Queen I got to know in later years... My father used to go to the Royal Box at Ascot, not during Royal Ascot, but for the Queen Elizabeth... King George VI and Queen Elizabeth Diamond Day at the end of July... And he would always take the copy of the new book to give to the Queen Mother there and we would be guests in the Royal Box. And I remember I went with him once and the Queen was standing at the top of the stairs with her hands on her hips saying, well, where's my copy? So we we had to... um, Thereafter, we always took two copies, one for the Queen and one for the Queen Mother and that went on for many years. I mean, she she was a lovely lovely lady, and I will miss her hugely. There was uh, an incident in the Royal Box once. The Queen Mother, this was back in the, the late 1990s, so um, the Queen Mother died in 2002, so this must have been, you know, 1998 or so. The Queen Mother had just had cataract operations on both eyes, and we were sat having tea in the Royal Box, and there was my father and my mother and the Queen Mother... And then there was me and then there was the queen. So you might say I had a queen on each arm. <laughs> and the queen mother was leaning forward to my mother and father saying, don't you love this new service, you know, holding a plate up with a with a lovely gold rim and the, the Ascot crown in the middle. And the queen, I mean, we all do this to our parents. And she did it to her mother as well. She leaned down to me and very quietly whispered in my ear, We've had it for 10 years, but she's been unable to see it. <laughs> and she reveled in this. She loved this. And she was, she loved, you know, very fond of, of all the family. And uh, she will be much missed. But uh, I still think that 96 was a good innings.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you know our new king too, don't you?
1: Well, I, I've been fortunate enough to, to meet the king on several occasions when he was Prince of Wales. And uh, I'm glad to say that I can count him as a fan of my books, and especially uh, The New Queen is a huge fan, of course, being involved very much in horse racing.
0: Let's go back to the books. Now, earlier on, you used the phrase fiction factory. Oh, yes. How does that work? Well,
1: I am now in the same position as as my parents found themselves many years ago, and that is trying to think up a new story every year. I mean... It gets more and more difficult. People think that you write, if you've written sixteen books; it must be easy to write the seventeenth. But you've used up sixteen stories, and you've got to find a seventeenth. And in my case, I can't use any of the fifty-five stories that exist in the Dick and Felix Francis canon. So thinking up a new one is always difficult. And the way I start is, I think of a character. I mean, Sid Halley is back in this book in Hands Down, and this is Sid's sixth outing. Uh, he has the, he's luckily doesn't age as quickly as the rest of us. But most of the books have got new characters every time. I mean, this is partly because my father said, and I agree with him absolutely, that, it's, uh, that if you have a new character with new characteristics and new job, it makes filling up the pages easier. So I'm looking at a new character for book 17 and I look around as my parents used to for a profession which you can then incorporate so we've I've had a barrister and I've had I mean I did write three books with a jockey club investigator because someone wanted me to write a series so I did that and then but I've also had a doctor and I've had a television commentator and a chef so I start with the character, so I I decided what my character would be, and the the character in in the next book will be an auctioneer who is who sells by, he works for, well I, I don't know whether I would call it Tattersalls, but it will be based on Tattersalls in Newmarket, where where all the horses are bought and sold, and you know everyone thinks that racing is about gambling and th- about bookmakers. Well, it is, without gambling, racing wouldn't exist. But the biggest gambles in racing don't occur with the bookmaker. They occur in the sales ring, where you are buying a horse for millions of pounds, which is never raced, has never been ridden, is untested solely based on its breeding. And um, that is the biggest gamble in racing. So my parents would look around, as I now do, for a character. So they would look at their friends... And their family and, uh, and looked to see whether there was a profession in the friends and family because that would make the, uh, uh, the research easier. And so my uncle was a wine importer and a wine imported. He was the sole importer of Paul Roger champagne into the United Kingdom at one stage. And so they wrote proof, which was about uh, the wine trade. And then my father's cousin, one of my father's cousins, was an architect. And so that was an architect, was put into uh, Decider. And then my brother has owned and run Lambourne Racehorse Transport for the last 30 years, even though he's just retiring now. So there was a horse, there was a book called Driving Force, which was about racehorse transport. And there were books about... uh, flying i mean rat race was flying and also flying finish was about flying and my mother learnt to fly for that (laughs) and there was a book called reflex which was about uh uh, photography and so on and my mother took up photography in order to do the research for it they looked around the friends and family to see interesting occupations and this was this was the start of developing a story and uh the research was the best fun, and most of the research, a lot of the research, was done through friends and family. And I continue to do it. I don't have a, an auctioneer in the family, but I, I have a lawyer. So that was I've used a lawyer in the past, and, and I have a very good friend who's a chef who I worked with many, many, many years ago. It's Raymond Blanc, and and my culinary claim to fame is that I was once his boss, <laughs> uh, but that was uh, you know that was goodness knows nearly fifty years ago. Uh so um, the fiction factory everything you do as a writer as a fiction writer especially I think as a crime writer everything I do is geared in some way towards coming up with a story I mean I get invited to things and I go and and you watch people and you different occasions you different things happen I mean some I went, uh, we had a big wedding family wedding um last Saturday with uh, my stepdaughter was getting married. Um, she's 30 years old. We had 150 guests. And uh, someone said to me during the uh, reception when, I was, when we were chatting away, she, they said, how do you come up with all these stories? And I said, well, I go to events like weddings and I look to see whether anyone's got a knife in their back and sort of look behind them. You know, it always causes a laugh. But there's a lot, there is a grain of truth about it there really is.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder now about the sort of seamless transition from Dick Francis to oh, Dick and Felix uh, Francis to Felix well, Francis. That's because that's it... very
1: kind of you to call it a seamless transition. <laughs> Didn't necessarily feel like it at the time. Well, it's all a bit of a, I've told the story many times. So if if you've heard it before, I apologise. But it was, uh, it was all a bit of an accident. I mean, I was a physics teacher, as you said. And I did that for 17 years, but I retired from teaching physics when I was uh, 37 or 30, 38 because I went to uh, look after my father's affairs. I became his manager. I also uh, worked with a friend and, and joined a company called World Challenge Expeditions Limited and, and was deputy chairman of that for 13 years. And we, we grew the company from a, a two-man company to a company that in the end we sold... To uh, Tui, the uh, the travel company. So, in two thousand, my parents decided they would retire. In fact, they really wanted to retire in uh, nineteen ninety nine. They they were worn out. My father was at this stage was seventy nine, and my mother's health was not great. She had, she had polio when she was twenty six, and it had affected her breathing and her her whole life really. And she had developed. Parkinson's disease, and and um, they lived in warmer climates because the British winters used to almost see her off with bronchitis and pneumonia. I, I became my father's manager, and they well, they were going to retire in in 1999, and they they took the book, as I was saying before, to to Ascot to give to the Queen Mother and the Queen. And my father had always said to the Queen Mother, "Can I dedicate?" one of my books to you, ma'am. And she used to wag her finger at him and say, only when I'm a 100. And so in 1999, my father was about to say that this was the last book, because they had decided they were retiring, when she said, I'm so looking forward to my book next year. (laughs) And I remember driving my parents home and my mother and father were going, oh, no, we've got to do it again. We've got to do it again. (laughs) And the book was called Shattered, and my goodness, it was well named because I went out to collect the, the book from their home in the, in the Caribbean a week before it was due at the publishers. And when I got there, I found that it was only two thirds written and my parents were shattered. You know, they were just unable to. And so I actually finished the book. I rolled my sleeves up and sat down at their dining room table and wrote the last third of the book in a week. Fortunately, no one seemed to notice at the time. And actually, everyone was very happy with it. But I spent a lot of time talking to my mother and father as I was doing it. And then when the book was published in the beginning of September, my parents announced that they were retiring, that this was the last book. Uh, and We had a lot of fun giving it to the Queen Mother, you know, dedicated to her. On her when And it was handed over to her four days before her 100th birthday. And and I was there, and and she signed a copy for me, which is which is very much treasured item. Anyway, my mother's long and happy retirement lasted three weeks, and she succumbed from a heart attack. So uh, it was a book; it was one book too many. Um, anyway, that and my father was now eighty, and he confirmed that that was the that was the end of the Dick Francis. There were no more going to be no more books, and everyone thought, well, that's that. Anyway, five years later, in 2005, um, my father's agent asked me to lunch. Nothing unusual in that. We did it quite often to discuss various things. And he said over lunch, he said, Felix, we've got a problem. All your father's books are going to go out of print. It's not that the stories aren't good enough. It's just there hasn't been a new one for five years. Everyone is forgetting. There are 70,000 books published in this country every year, and the bookshops haven't got room for the new ones, let alone for the old ones. And also the the buyers who buy for Waterstones, in other words, the corporate people, they're all straight out of university. They're 24 years old. They don't remember the Dick Francis books. And and they're not selling and they're all going to go out of print. And I thought, well, that is a problem because I'd quite hoped that they would not only give my father a pension for the rest of his life, but they'd also give me one too. And it was clearly not going to happen. So the agent said, but... What we need is a new hardback, and I said, "Well, you know, don't be crazy. You know, Mum's been dead five years, my father's eighty-five, and God bless him, he he can hardly remember what he had for breakfast yet. Learn enough to write a book because you need a good memory to know what you've written." And he said, "No, what I'm actually asking is your permission to ask an existing, established crime writer to write a Dick Francis novel by whoever." just to stimulate the backlist. Well, I must have had a few glasses of red wine by then, because I said, well, I wrote the last bit of Shattered. Before you ask anyone else, I'd like to have a go. And, and to his eternal credit, the agent didn't roll his eyes and, and or laugh. He simply said, I'll give you two months to write two chapters. And I went home and wrote to the two chapters. They were long chapters. They ended up being four chapters. And, and then we had another lunch. And the agent openly admits that he thought that he'd get my permission to ask who he wanted. But when we had the lunch, he'd read the chapters and he said, well, there's two things you've got to do. One, you better get on and finish it. And secondly, you better go and talk to your father, which was a lot more difficult than the first one. And uh, I went to Dad and I said, we need a new book. No, he said, I'm retired. I said, look, uh, we could make it a Sid Halley book. It could be about race fixing, which was very much in, in vogue because... Uh, Kieran Fallon was about to go on trial at the Old Bailey, and I said, "I, I will. Um, I've written two chapters of it." So he read them. And he got very excited. Tried to tell me where I'd gone wrong. I didn't. I ignored him, and <laughs> and uh, uh, in a nice way. Then uh, the book came out without my name on it. I wrote the book. It was called Under Orders, and it's in the list. It's the last of the Dick Francis on his own. But I wrote the whole thing. I wasn't allowed to say that for eight years until the. I got released from the contract, that clause in the contract. which, And uh, the book went straight to the top of the bestseller list. Of course it did. It had Dick Francis on the cover. But I was terrified that all the reviews would say, Dick's lost it. And they didn't. They all said, the master is back. And the publishers said, right, we want another one. And I set about writing Dead Heat. And then the American publishers took fright. They were afraid of being sued for passing off so the book came out with Dick Francis in big letters on it, but underneath in the smallest font they could find, and Felix Francis. <laughs> but I wrote all of them. I mean, I wrote that, I mean, there were four came out with joint names. The last of those, Crossfire, Dad didn't even read it. I mean, he he died when it was only half written, but it still came out with his name on. And, and I'm very grateful to, I mean, he was very enthusiastic on the whole project and And I was grateful that he lived long enough for me to be established so that after that, I could have my name on. I mean, the book, as you see, and we're looking at a copy of it now, it still has a Dick Francis novel on it. That's my choice. Dick Francis feels as much a part of me, of these books, as I feel part of all the others. It's a brand. And, well, I must have done something right, because two years later, Penguin Books re-jacketed, reset, and republished all the backlists and they're still in
0: print, so something's working. This particular book is an absolute page turner. I I'm longing actually to kick you out so I can get back Reading it. Well, I'm in no. I,
1: I, I've got no, nothing to go to, so I'm in no hurry.
0: Felix, thank you so much for for talking to us. Hands down, is just fabulous, as as fabulous as anything your father wrote. Your mother helped with. The fiction factory is running at full tilt, and I'm so pleased.
1: Oh, Georgina, thank you so much.
0: Hands Down, a Dick Francis novel by Felix Francis is published by Simon & Schuster and you've been listening to Meet the Writers thanks to the production team of Nora Hull and Lillian Fawcett and you can download this show and previous episodes from our website or app from SoundCloud, Mixcloud or iTunes. I'm Georgina Godwin. Thank you for listening.